You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our interview with the screenwriter of Mary Poppins Returns, David McGee. Academy Award-nominated screenwriter of films such as Finding Neverland and Life of Pi, David McGee, whose latest work is the sequel to Mary Poppins titled Mary Poppins Returns. David, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Absolutely. You know, when I list off the uh, credits, um, also you're credited with uh, writing Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. There's only four films listed there, but I mean, that's quite a body of work that you've accumulated for yourself uh, throughout your screenwriting career so far. And I have to give you some props and kudos to that too, because I don't know how much I'm allowed to say necessarily, because there is currently a review embargo on Mary Poppins' (laughs) returns, but I will just say, uh, congratulations, sir. I think you have yet another wonderful hit on your hands here with this one. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I'm biased and I'm not under an embargo, so I can say I think it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to start us off from the beginning, I guess, then. Um, You know, so you're nominated for the Oscar for Life of Pi. That's back in 2012. Here Mm -hmm. we are now six years later. Um, What was the process like between uh, that and Mary Poppins Returns? How did this project ultimately land at at, at, at your desk, essentially? Well, uh, you know, projects take a long time to get done, and there are other things I've worked on in the interim, which I hope will be coming to a theater near you someday soon. But this project came to me three years ago. I got a call from my agent uh, saying that uh, Rob Marshall had uh, uh, wanted to check and see if I would be interested in working on a sequel to Mary Poppins, New Adventures of Mary Poppins. And uh, I have to say, if it wasn't Rob Marshall, I'm not sure how confident I would have been about uh, being involved in such a thing, but he's uh, a master of film musicals. Yeah. So I was immediately interested. And so uh, I, I met with him uh, and John DeLuca, the producer uh, in New York city. And uh, they had sent over some beginning ideas and notes and suggestions for how the film may open. And I read those through and I was excited by them. And when we sat down, we started talking about those ideas and it's just, it's such a relief in our business to, to meet with people where uh, you feel as though they understand what you're talking about and they're finishing your sentences and uh, you understand where they're going. And within a very short time, I knew I wanted to work with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm grateful to say that uh, by the time I got in my car and started driving home, I got a call from my agent saying they wanted to work with me. So that was really the beginning of the project. So you never had a moment of doubt expectation or oh my gosh like how like i'm the one who has this burden to bear of creating this (laughs) sequel to a very beloved disney property for you it was nothing but just pure positivity and excitement well there's something awesome uh literally uh, you you find yourself awed by the prospect of uh being involved with such a classic um, I did know in my heart that Disney would not allow us to let this happen if we didn't come up with a pretty darn good story. 
and because um, uh, they have, uh, you know, an immense interest in protecting the original. And uh, I was excited about the prospect of working with them. And then uh, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, a composer and lyricist, came on board. And so it was five of us in a room talking about ideas. And it was just such fun to start uh, reading all the old P.L. Travers books um, and searching for what kind of story we could tell um, that would do uh, that would honor the original and take Mary Poppins forward. So I, I, I was I didn't have time to be frightened, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, another thing, too, I mean, because you're doing research, you're looking at the old film. Um, I, I'm not sure if you looked at uh, the other Disney film that was released, Saving Mr. Banks or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but taking all of this in. Right, all this information that you can to try and craft the best story possible. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was very struck by with this particular film was how well you honored nostalgia while still making it feel like it was something fresh and new. And I wanted to ask a little bit about where you kind of came to the balance with that. Well, we knew from the very beginning we did not want to just rely on the original and people's memory of it. Uh, in order to make our film look better. Of course, we wanted to connect our story to uh, that of the Banks family, but, but we wanted to tell a new story. Everything about this is new. Uh, our our um, lead characters are Michael and Jane Banks uh, as grown-ups, and obviously, well, not obviously, but honestly, <laughs> P.L. Travers never wrote about those <laughs> grown-ups. She always wrote about that original family. Mm. Um, but we wanted to... Um, we wanted to tell a story that would stand on its own and that would be grounded in an emotional reality that would that would uh, that modern audiences would connect with. But of course, as we went along, we're also reaching back and talking about uh, Michael and Jane and their memories of their childhood and how things have changed. And so, gradually, we begin to connect more and more with the original. But Obviously, we wanted this to be a standalone movie. So even if you hadn't seen the original Mary Poppins, you would identify with what our characters were going through. So you invested uh, a couple of years, obviously, into this project. And I'm curious to know if there was ever a uh, personal connection to the material for you that would have you invested in, you know, such a process. Or was it just simply the idea of, you know, this is a very, very exciting project, something that, um, you know, has had enough time removed from the original that we can make it something fresh and new. Well, I don't, I'm not an autobiographical writer in the sense that I don't try and put my own uh, personality on the screen or my own life events, but it's a natural uh, part of working on anything that when you're trying to find out why a character does something or, or what's happening in their, in their mind when something is going on, you remind yourself of things that you've been through. So mm-hmm. a, as a very small example, uh, Michael Banks has gone through some very hard times. He's lost his wife. He's raising his children on his own. And now they're struggling through the depression. And he has uh, lost track of things and fallen behind and he's not paying attention to the bills and that sort of thing. And one of the early questions that people were asking me when we were writing the, uh, the early drafts of the film was, well, why doesn't Michael just ask for help? His, his sister's there. He's, he's got, I hope he has other friends out there or someone who could help him with this. And, uh, for a while it was hard to answer that question until one day when I just thought, well, what would I do when things get um, 
intense when, when I'm struggling or trying to keep up my immediate reaction is to say, Oh no, I'll take care of it. I'll, and, and it's also a generational thing. I think that my father was even more so like uh, mm. that. Oh no, no, I, there's nothing wrong. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll cover. I'll just, I don't want to burden anyone else with this. I don't want them to see me as being weak or, 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 or unable to take care of my problems. And I think as soon as I realized that that was what, what Michael was going through by identifying with it in myself, I was able to write his character much more effectively. Um, sure. So, so that's the kind of connection that you can make with the material along the way. Now, uh, being that this is a musical and there are songs in the film that are, that have to be written and they take up a large chunk of the runtime of the film. Yes. I'm curious to know if, you're working with uh, Mark Scheinman during the writing process, or if that's something that gets incorporated later, and then you have to go back and do rewrites uh, to have the songs kind of fit in with the dialogue and the themes that you're going for. Like, what's that collaboration like? Mark and Scott and Rob and John and I were working together almost from the very beginning. Oh, uh, nice. I, we, we worked for about four months to create a treatment of the film. Uh, I think about 35 pages describing what we thought the film was as uh, in as much detail as we could to show Disney what we had in mind. And as we developed that, we would be sitting around in a, you know, in a half circle, uh, throwing out ideas. I'd keep track of them. Uh, we'd meet a couple times a week and I'd go off and write these things up and then I'd send them over to the others and they'd read them all and we'd meet again the next week. In the process of doing that, we'd come to a point where I'd say, or we'd all say, I think this is where uh, this happens and then this happens. And someone would say, I think that's a song. And I'd say, okay. And I'd type the word song in the treatment and not knowing uh, yet what, what exactly it would be, but knowing what part of the story we were trying to advance through that song. We wanted very much to have the songs, um, not just be uh, uh, asides, but really be a part, an integral part of the story. So as Mark and Scott worked, they would describe what kind of song they thought it would be, and I would listen, and I would try and describe it in this treatment. And then when we actually got to writing, uh, we went off to our separate corners, but we were in almost constant contact um, where I would write a scene, uh, show it to Rob, he'd make some comments, then I'd send it over to Mark and Scott, and I would try to write up to the moment where I thought the song began, and maybe even write a little bit into the song, what I thought was happening, describing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then basically say, you guys tell me, where does the song begin? And oftentimes they'd start right where I left off, or sometimes they would uh, jump back you know, half a page and say, we don't need all this, this is what's in the song, we're doing that already. And I'd say, okay. And then they would make a demo of the song they were working on and send it over. I'd listen to it. It was usually fantastic. And I would then go back and uh, alter uh, what I had written up to the song to kind of fit with the rhythm, stepping into the song, that sort of thing. Uh, but oftentimes they were so expert in knowing where the song began that they would just cut out the parts they didn't need and, and we were off. So... Uh, it was an amazing process. And then occasionally dialogue comes back in, in the midst of the song. So they'd say, okay, we wrote up to this point. Now we want to do this here and have them talk about this. And I'd say, okay, and I'd go off and write that. Hmm. So it was a back and forth uh, from the very beginning. And like you said before, you immediately had excitement working with Rob Marshall on this project. And from the sound of things, it sounds like uh, that process uh, definitely was something that was 
it, it met your expectations in terms of that collaborative uh, process working with Rob? Oh, absolutely, and more. Rob is brilliant. He's uh, he's got an amazing ability to uh, uh, see what uh, potential is there in what you've written, and and gently x out the parts we don't need, so we can move more quickly into the parts that matter, and encourage you to to uh, add a little more of this and that. So he was he was with me along uh, along the whole way, and then. Uh, uh, when we finally had a script with uh, our first round of songs, our kind of first draft of everything, he pulled together a, a crew of amazing actors uh, to help us out along with uh, Emily Blunt and then Manuel Miranda. And we read the whole thing over the course of a week. We essentially, um, we didn't put it on its feet. We read it around a table and rehearsed it to see if it worked so we could hear the whole thing before we even thought about going off to film it. Wow. Um, and then, by then I knew we had a great, great project. I was very excited. Uh, and it was, it was just awesome to listen to it. Yeah, a few questions I'd like to ask any writers that come on the show here. Uh, so how long from the time that you began the project to the time you turned in your final draft, how long was that process and how many drafts ultimately did you go through? It almost sounds like you guys were constantly writing and rewriting a lot throughout the whole process, it almost sounds like. Yeah, it was, it's harder to define um, you know, draft. I think our, our, our treatment took four months. Our first draft took another maybe, I don't know, four or five months. So eight, nine months, uh, you know, getting approval from Disney for the treatment for the story we're going to tell and then creating that. And then we uh, did our reading and then we had another few months um, uh, to get it ready for pre-production. And then we rehearsed it for eight weeks uh, with the cast. Wow. Uh, which is an unheard of luxury for any kind of film. Uh, even for <laughs> yeah. a Broadway musical, that's an incredible luxury. So we had seen the whole thing on its feet yet again. Um, that whole process until we started production, uh, we started in the fall three years ago, uh, by the spring, we were talking about the reading and by Christmas of that year, um, we were, uh, done with pre-production. So I would say that period was maybe a, a year and three months, something like that. Wow. And, uh, okay. four months, maybe a year and four months. And then six months of filming and the rest was post-production and little tweaks and an incredible amount of work on the animation, which um, is both beautiful and exhausting to think about making. <laughs> I can, I can only imagine, especially nowadays when that form of animation is in such rare supply nowadays, I can only imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. What for you was the hardest scene to write and what was your favorite scene to write? Mm, boy, that's an interesting one. Um, the hardest scene to write, and I don't want to give anything away, um, uh, but the hardest scene to write is one that ultimately didn't end up in the film. And, mm. uh, that's because I didn't want to be too sentimental or mawkish. I really, I don't believe that people in their real lives let you into their emotions that easily. Mm -hmm. Um, even those you're close to and, and particularly these characters. So, we needed to give our audience some set sense of what Michael Banks was going through in the aftermath of losing his wife and about to lose the house mm. and all these things. Was it a uh, heartbreaking or a relief to lose that scene? A relief, tremendous relief. And, and all I'll say is, uh, we try, I tried to write versions of it and it never felt honest to me and it never felt real. And I always ended up kind of ending, uh, ending it with some sort of joke or something. And then finally I said to Rob, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. This isn't what Michael would say. And mm -hmm. 
Uh, at which point Mark Shaman called me up and he said, because it's a song. <laughs> and, and uh, said, The place where lost things go, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, oh, well, in this case, it was, it was the conversation, the song he has up in the attic. Oh, yes. Gotcha. And, and so uh, he, Mark said, this is what songs do, is they take us into those emotions, those heightened feelings that you can't express through words. And he said, why don't we have a swing at it? And I said, oh, gosh, please do go. And they wrote uh, <laughs> what I think is obviously a heartbreaking song. So is Lost Things. Um, but just beautiful uh, song that takes us into his mind in a way that dialogue would never have uh, worked. Um, so that's the, the hardest scene. Um, and I don't have a favorite scene I, I love so many moments in this film. I am so happy with so many moments in this film. So many moments I've seen this film yeah. four or five times, finished, completed, still make me cry, uh, still make me laugh, yeah. still make me smile. So I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even gonna. <laughs> the whole thing. The, the whole thing. thing. I'm I, I, I have said to a couple of people, I, I would like to know the type of uh, individual who walks out of this movie and is like not does not is not grinning ear to ear, is not feeling <laughs> great, like. Yeah, I need to know. Yeah, because exactly. <laughs> it's they started in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then also too, do you ever get writer's block? If so, um, how do you deal with it? Because it almost sounds like to me on a pro uh, on a project like this, while there was a great deal, uh, it almost sounds like there was a great amount of time, and it didn't seem like you were ever rushed or pressured uh, right. to get this done. It doesn't sound like so. Did you ever encounter that on this project? And if so, and if maybe not on this particular project, um, in general, um, for anyone that's listening that might be a writer, uh, how would you deal with it if you did? Well, I have three half answers to that. One is, no, I didn't really ever have a writer's block, although, as I just said, I got stuck in trying to figure out how to do a scene. Sure. But usually that means you just have to keep, you know, working at it. Uh, the second thing is... Um, uh, I sit down every day and write something, even if it's, I don't know what to write, um, because mm. that keeps you going. Um, uh, and I've called it yelling at the page, uh, but I, but I don't, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't care what you call it. The idea is if you're having trouble writing, write about why you're having trouble writing. You know, I can't do this because I don't know where I'm headed with this. Because every time I try to write this scene, it makes no sense to me because uh, Michael would never say these emotions because it's a song. Of course, it's a song. You know, you figure it out by talking it out with yourself. Um, mm. And if you talk I it like out that. on paper, at least you're writing something. So uh, that's really. And you never answer. know what also could come of that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You might find something else along the way that you didn't expect. So. Uh, that's that's my my main guide to this sort of thing. And the third, very briefly thing is, I sit down at a certain time every day and I do something, and I get up at a certain day and I mm -hmm. stop doing. And so if I didn't get it on that day, I don't beat myself up, you know. Uh, yeah. So that's my strongest advice, uh, I guess, is is just you know. It's persistence more than anything. Sure. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to tell us, uh, but what's next? I mean, uh, you've had a couple of little sizable hits on your hands here, and you were saying before you were writing some stuff that may or may not be coming, uh, well, but you're always working, it sounds like. I'm always working, and there are always a handful of projects that I'm in various stages on. The one that's been announced that I can talk about is I've been working with Stephen Schwartz, uh, the 
the composer of Wicked and, and Godspell and many, many others, the Pippin and many others, uh, mm-hmm. on a musical about Hans Christian Andersen. So that's, that's my next, wow. uh, my next uh, I hope. I hope that's the next one coming to theaters near you, uh, or maybe one of the other ones will beat it there. But at least that one I can announce. Well, uh, we really, really wish you a tremendous amount of uh, success and gratitude, honestly, with this movie, because I do Thank believe you. that Mary Poppins Returns is the kind of film that this world needs right now at this, at this time, especially over the holiday season. I can't think of a more perfect movie um, for during this time. So... Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to sit with me today. It was definitely a pleasure. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. You have a nice day. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the screenwriter of the film Mary Poppins Returns, David McGee, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and now newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and support. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us, including reviews for Mary Poppins, the original film, and Saving Mr. Banks for the month of December. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.